Hello, Marveloids! Welcome to This Week in Marvel number 101. This is our 101st episode, sort of, of Marvel's weekly podcast. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Ben Morse, editor of Marvel.com. And we are back in the same room for the first podcast in weeks. Because you weren't here for 99, yep. and I wasn't here for 100. You're correct. But now we're starting our next 100 episodes... The right way. Yep. No more substitutes. No more second-rate hosts. Yeah. We're back. Uh, and if you hear lots of sirens and things crashing... It's because be- we're doing this from the hood. <laughs> we're doing this in our Iron Man room, which is uh, right next to a noisy street. So yep. deal with it. There's also a loud meeting going on next door, so I can hear the conference call going on from there. So this is guerrilla podcasting. This is how we do it. Yep. Yeah. This is, of course... The flagship podcast of Marvel.com, 100 episodes and running strong. Uh, If you're just joining us for the first time, we, of course, cover everything. Comics, movies, TV, video games, news. We answer your questions. This week, we do our reading club. Oh, my God. There's so many tweets. We did. Oh, my God. We're we're starting off. uh, We're we're considering October the official 50th anniversary of the X-Men. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up on the site. One of the things is that for our reading clubs this month, we are going to be doing all X-Men stories. So we got Dark Phoenix Saga this week, and people had a lot to say. But yeah. before we do that, we got other stuff to do. Do we? Yeah. What are we doing? We oh, yeah, we've got comics. Yeah. How about that? All right. Uh, first up this week is all-new X-Men number 17, next part of Battle of the Atom. Yep. Brian Michael Bendis, Stuart Eminen. The time twisting continues. Oh, my goodness. You know, so... You've got the old X-Men who came in and all new X-Men. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the young kids. Right Boom. On. That's caused the whole thing. Battle of the Atoms started because this team of future X-Men came in. And, uh, you know, they're a little suspect. People are a little unsure about them. Well, last issue, last part of Battle of the Atom, you saw a couple of the characters, Beast, Iceman, and Magic, go to the future and meet a different group of X-Men. But the world doesn't seem as terrible. Yeah, as it seems great. As they expected? Yeah. Uh, so this issue totally digs into that. I loved it because you got to see... It's a what-if. It's essentially yeah. a what-if. Yeah. It's great. It's, well, it starts off with Dazzler running for president, and it goes from there. And we get to meet a whole... Dream come world. true. Yeah. <laughs> a dream come true for everybody. To meet a whole new world of X-Men, we get to see a little bit of the future X-Men who came back to the past, uh, more of an indication of who they might be. Although it was almost, it was almost frustrating that... They would tease you with reveals and then pull back at the last second. But uh, the start of this issue for me was young Iceman, who was hysterical, uh, asking questions of his... Because there was already an Iceman in the there team. There are now four back. Icemen. Yeah, there are four Icemen. Four Icemen. So he meets another version of him who's like a wizard or something, and he talks to him. The The future X-Men are very cool. Jubilee is apparently Wolverine now. Naturally. She's taken on the codename Wolverine. She's awesome. She's really cool. Colossus has a mustache. Uh, there's a new cloak. We didn't find out who that was. There's some sort of Iron Man yep. character. There's a lot of stuff going on. Fun fact, uh, Jason Aaron said this in one of our interviews, so it's not a spoiler. This is the future from Wolverine and the X-Men. I was going to get to that. Already. Yeah. You, you got to it first. There you go. Jerk. So, so this will... We'll probably learn more about this in the upcoming issues of Wolverine and the X-Men, stuff like that. But the ones we've seen flash forward in Jason's series all combines back to this. You get Quentin Quire as Phoenix. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. Continues to be very much in the vein of the 
X-Men stories we grew up with. Yeah. There's just a lot going on. He had some nice character moments here and there, but it's really just how many cool concepts can we throw and watch him stick. Yeah. Stuart Eminem's art's great. It's gorgeous. Uh, looks, he's, he's awesome at designing these new characters. Uh, I hope some of them stick around. So I want them all to stick around. I want, I want a new book set in the, in the this future? future with all these characters. Future Wait, hey, you guys hear that? Sirens! Yep. I don't know if they can hear it. Who knows if the mic's picking that up or not? I'm sure it can. This is a very expensive microphone. Yeah. So anyways, uh, next next chapter of Battle of the Atom, we'll get to know more of these future X-Men and also who the heck the other future X-Men are. Yeah. Very excited. But that's not all the all-new X-Men we got this week. All-new X-Men special number one, written by newcomer Mike Costa, drawn by Chris Anka, who usually does covers, doing interiors here. This is part of a three-chapter little special deal we're doing called Arms of the Octopus. It's going through all new X-Men, Indestructible Hulk, and Superior Spider-Man. They're all getting specials, all written by Mike Costa. And focusing on the return of, strangely enough, Dr. Octopus. Which is odd, because we know Dr. Octopus is Superior Spider-Man now. Dun-dun-dun. But this issue, before it even gets there, focuses on Beast primarily from the all new X-Men, the original X-Men. And the other original X-Men going into New York... Trying to see what the present is like, uh, being overwhelmed by subways and yoga and stuff like that. But it's cool. Beast meets a girl in Central Park, kind of falls heads over heels with her, uh, tries to impress her. I love Beast's inner monologue here, the thoughts Costa has him doing. Just makes him super likable. Um, very smart, but very nervous, very socially awkward, but also with the knowledge. I like that he basically says to Ice, Iceman's like, no, you can't. You can't go flirt with this girl. Screw up the space-time continuum. And Beast is like, look, I'm going to be like a blue freak in a few years. Let me get what I can get. (laughs) Um, Then this time-displaced or from somewhere else, mysterious Dr. Octopus appears, starts fighting the X-Men. Spider-Man comes in. Mike Costa writes a great Spider-Man, just snarky as hell. Um, Really plays off these characters well. I actually liked this dynamic a lot because it's the young X-Men who Spidey knows he can talk down to, and they don't really know what to make of him. So they're not like, this isn't the Spider-Man we know. They're just like, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. But they fight Dr. Octopus, and by the end of the issue, they realize they need to call in some more help to get to the bottom of where this dude came from, and that is going to lead the next part of this in Indestructible Hulk special number one. Yes. Very cool. It has that very uh, annual-like feel. Definitely. I like that. Yeah, it wasn't really tethered to any particular uh, time period. Yeah. All right, next up we have Captain America, Living Legend by Andy Diggle and Addy Granov. This book has been 24 years yep. in the making. Yeah. Uh, it's long, long have we waited for this. Yeah, and we solicited uh, this quite a few years ago, yeah. and various factors led to it not coming out until just now. But I mean, now we got it, and it's gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. Captain America, World War II. Dealing with Soviets and Nazis and bad stuff and science and all kinds of stuff. It starts out in World War II. Then flashes forward to the 60s and then ends up in the present. Yeah, So it's naturally. across three eras. It's pretty great. Uh, you get some cool space stuff, some cool war stuff, some really cool Cold War stuff. And then uh, Captain America with Sharon Carter. So this isn't a, this is another book that's not like tied to specific continuity. Just think of it as an awesome Captain America story. Yeah. There's a lot of those books this week, actually. We'll go through and see more. There's a lot of books that were just kind of timeless tales and here's another one hey it's daredevil dark knights number five concluding this two-part story called a man named bug it you love you some bug it bug it 
Written and drawn by David Lapham, concluding the story from last issue in which Daredevil is trying to track down this 10-inch dude who has ties to a crime family. Uh, his cousin was just killed, and now he's going to go try and avenge his cousin. But it's more complicated than that. If he does that, some people might get hurt, so Daredevil's got to talk him down from the ledge and protect a guy he may not want to. What I love about this, besides Lapham's art, is that while Daredevil is doing all this, the Avengers and Spider-Man are fighting this giant monster that just gets weaved in and out of the story and ends up playing a major role. It's actually very clever, and it gives some chance for some good interaction between Daredevil and what's going on. Shocker, once again, shows up for another two pages. Uh, Strami must be thrilled. Uh, so this is actually a two-shocker week. Shocker was in two books this week. But I can't. So, it's too much. It's too much, but that's what you got from Daredevil Dark Knights. Uh, even though we don't get copies of Max books, did want to note that Phantom X Max number one by Andrew Hope and Sean Crystal is out this week. Uh, I've heard really good things. Beautiful cover by Francesco Francavilla. I hope there are lots of butts and heads exploding. Sure. It's a Max book. It's a Max book. So yeah, go check that out. Uh, all right, over to Hunger Number Three by Josh Fialkov and Leonard Kirk. It's Galactus goes after the Kree Empire. Uh, stuff goes really badly for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. uh, you've got on Earth Captain Marvel, who's been in the Ultimate books for a while. He makes his appearance known. Rick Jones bugs out, and he's like, "I ain't handling this. This isn't my situation." He goes home because he's he was actually a neighbor to uh, Peter Parker in the Ultimate the Universe, from him, yeah. and uh, it's very cool. And then he finds out. Peter Parker died, and yeah. he was Spider-Man. So Rick there's a really cool... Because he was off doing his thing. Yeah, he was just being a jerk. Yeah. And uh, so he gets totally affected by that, which is good. That's yeah. the kick in the pants he needed. Uh, while that's going on, the Kree, again, yeah, really bad situation. Galactus and Galactus <laughs> have fused to one, and it's bad news for the Ultimate Universe. You know what? what I like about this book, one of the things I like about this book, is that Galactus, as awesome as he is, he's been around for so many years now that like a lot of villains... Uh, Sometimes he'll just show up and it seems like he's too easy to stop. One of the nice things about taking him over to the Ultimate Universe is you can really crank back up the fact of the guy as he appeared back first in Fantastic Four. Just as being more than a supervillain, just a force of nature who's unstoppable. You see in this book, because it's the Ultimate Universe, because they get away a little more, just how impossible to do anything against this guy is. And amping him up with the... Uh, Ultimate Universe version is just even better. So I really like what they've done to Galactus. Yeah. Big moment for Captain Marvel and even bigger moment for Rick Jones towards the end. So Sad ending. Yeah. Made me sad. Totes. Uh, Iron Man number 16, the penultimate chapter of The Secret Origin of Tony Stark by Kieran Gillen and Caro Pagulayan. When we last left our hero, he was being hurled into another dimension because 451 had decided that all of his plans were for naught. All the stuff he's been doing has just led to death and genocide, so he decided he needed to take himself and everything he's ever created out of our reality, and that included Tony. So this issue is a race for Tony to save himself um, and to preserve all of this stuff. There's some stuff with Guardians of the Galaxy, and then towards the end, can't really spoil it, but uh, there's a there's a moment that brings us full circle as far as this storyline goes. Yes. Yeah. Over to Infinity Hunt, number two, by Matt Kent and Steven Sanders. Uh, so you've got this new contest of champions, and boom, Thanos' dogs of war come down. Yeah. Everything goes wrong. I for like these new everyone. characters. Yeah, these new characters, this Latvian school of science. Uh, you've got 
Pan. You've got, uh, what's this gal's name? Demona. She's a half-demon. And Morg, who's a vampire. She's the son of Satan's daughter. Yes. So she's the granddaughter of Satan. <laughs> granddaughter? I can't believe they have it. I hope they use that in this. And I was totally, I felt so sad because... Oh, uh, I know. Uh, when they describe in the caption. Yeah, unpopular due to heinous, to hideous smell of brimstone that clings to her body. So sad. Yeah, it's a bummer. Everyone loves Nightcrawler. I know. Yeah, what's that about? It smells like brimstone all the time. And it would get on his fur and everything. You know that's got to stink. Wash that out. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, you've got Pan, who is just this big old horn dog and is doing it with everything. It's great. You've got this other, the vampire kid, who says he's Morbius' son, and that's really funny. There's some. I think that's funny, too, because they're they're all like, he he makes a big point that he's Morbius' son, and they know he's not Morbius' son. Like, if you're a vampire, wouldn't you just say you're Dracula's son? Wouldn't that be cooler? Yeah. Is it really like a rep builder to say you're Morbius's son? Yeah. And then we get to see a little bit more of the school. Uh, one, Baron Blood is a yes. teacher there. Wow. I didn't realize Baron Blood was alive. It's a vampire. He's always alive. Yeah, but didn't he get his head chopped off by Captain America, or is that a different... That was a very different Baron Blood. Sure. Let's, plenty of Baron Blood. We'll Bloods. go with it. We learn that the teachers at the school are Doombots with blonde wigs. Love that. It's so great. Yeah. Then you get this really little taste of these other students there, all these monsters. It's really cool, but then, of course... Thanos' crew comes and starts messing with everyone. All that's great. Then you go over to Avengers Academy where most of the Contest of Champions is going on. And you get to see Wolverine stab a giant creature in the face. Uh, She-Hulk punch some things face in. You get an arm ripped off. You get a brand new character. uh, Get squished, crunched, Mm. all bloody and disgusting. A lot of, you know, crazy moments in this one. It's not pretty. No, it's not pr- well. It's pretty. Yeah, Steven the art. Sanders Steven is great. Sanders, very beautiful. Well uh, but well yes, it um, it ends in a, a cool way where you got to see these characters starting to come together, and hopefully, we'll get to salvage some. They won't yeah. all get killed. All right, that was by Matt Kent, and this next book is also by Matt Kent with art by Mark Rudy and Val Staples, and that's Marvel Knights Spider Man number one of five, bringing back the Marvel Knights imprint. Speaking of books that are not set in a specific time period, that would be this. And this book is bonkers. We were talking about it before the show, uh, it's all over the place. It's very trippy, it's very experimental. The art is amazing. Uh, Marco Rudy is just all over the place, really kicking out the jams on this one. Yeah, if you like uh, J.H. Williams III's art, oh, yeah. um, you know, that kind of style, there's Definitely. a lot of cool elements in there. Yeah, I mean, really, or even going back to that uh, that Spider-Man graphic novel we read yeah. last year, but just just really out there stuff. It starts, I don't, even, I don't even know how to describe the start of the story. Basically, Peter Parker walks into a room and old school Madam Web's there, and things just go crazy from there. And then it's just him fighting villain after villain, like all of his villains, like some really minor ones and cool ones. Jack O' Lantern's in there, Morbius is in there, Frankenstein is in there, uh, Arcade shows up at one point. But it really is a chance for Matt Kent to create this crazy, twisty story and Marco Rudy to really shine. And there's this page where everything's written backwards. Uh, it's surreal. It's very surreal. It's different than probably anything else you're going to read this week. And uh, I got to the end of the book, and I still am not quite sure where it's going. But it's kind of exciting. But it's just a lot of getting to see Marco Rudy draw cool stuff and cameos from villains we haven't seen for a while. So it's nice. It's nice. It's a sample of what this Marvel Knights format's going to be, and that's going to be creators really getting to try out different things. 
Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble, number one, of course, is adapting the very first episode of Marvel's Avengers Assemble, which you can see on Disney XD. Our man Joe Caramagna adapting the Avengers Protocol, which was written by Man of Action, featuring Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Hulk, and the Falcon. Mighty Avengers number two, getting back into Infinity. Uh, in this issue, we start with the Blue Marvel, who haven't seen in a while. Um, haven't seen since his series and yeah. he showed up in one heroic age one shot so it's been a few years yep. uh, he's on the bottom of the ocean monitoring what's going on hanging out with the watcher gets a nice little talking to himself bit uh, Blue Marvel is a character we dug when he was first introduced he's just very different he's got a real history to him uh, he sees what's going on in New York Thanos and in particular Proxima Midnight uh, familiar to those of us who are playing Marvel Avengers Alliance as a huge pain in the ass um, she's invading New York with all of her aliens, all of her buddies, uh, Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Spectrum, and the Splendiferous Spider-Hero are trying to hold them off. Luke Cage really gets kind of the, the spotlight here. He gets the step-up moment. It's Luke Cage versus Proxima Midnight. All the other Avengers are doing what they can, but there's a great bit Al Ewing writes in. This is written by Al Ewing, art by Greg Land, where the Avengers or, you know, this makeshift group of Avengers get just destroyed they get decimated by proxima midnight uh and so this old lady just starts throwing bricks at them at the aliens and she gets the entire neighborhood to start just yelling at these aliens like what are you doing and then they all start yelling avengers assemble and that's enough for luke cage just have this awesome rocky balboa moment he just gets up and just starts punching and punching and punching and it's great yeah i, I like it they there's a, a panel where it talks about the force of their blows oh, being yeah. so big and it was like shaking everything. Yep, like, yeah, everything's being knocked around. Uh, and then at the end of the issue, after that fight, Doctor Strange, who's being controlled by Ebony Maw, shows up. You have this great double page spread. Shumagorath! Shumagorath from Marvel vs. Capcom. And comics. I mean, yeah, but mostly he was, he was Marvel vs. Capcom. But yeah, most fans know him uh, yeah. from MVC. And I love that he shows up and, the, you know, Luke Cage just beat the crap or got the crap beaten out of him approximately midnight. Spider-Man and Spider-Hero are, you know, they're they're not really in this class. Spectrum has been decimated because uh, approximately midnight hit her pretty hard. So you have Blue Marvel comes in, bookending the issue, coming in. All right, time for me to go and save the day. So in number three, we'll get to see Blue Marvel in action, which should be excellent. Excited. Uh, Savage Wolverine, number nine, written and drawn by Jacques and with colors by Lee Lowridge. This is a cool, weird sci-fi mystery story uh, that Jacques is doing. And it's, you know, Wolverine attached to a spacecraft and gets hurled towards a planet. It turns out not to be Earth. It turns out to be super weird. Uh, You got Wolverine doing his thing, surviving the best he can. Um, cool creature designs and, and just weirdness abounds. It's a very fun sci-fi story, and that sets up a big mystery for what Jock is trying to do. I'm excited because I don't I don't know where this is going. This is something different. It's gonna be fun. Superior Foes of Spiderman number four, uh, written by Nick Spencer, art by Steve Lieber. This is such a good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ridiculous. You've got. Uh, at the end of the last issue, we had Boomerang uh, tip off Luke Cage and Iron Fist to where uh, his erstwhile sort of teammates were hiding. 
and then they go and kick some tail. There's a lot of funny dialogue. There's uh, a decent little fight. Uh, the there's a there's a great bit with Luke Cage taking off a piece of the Shocker's costume because oh, yeah. he's not allowed to have it. It was really it's funny it's stuff. Little thunderbolts insignia from ways in the thunderbolts and yep. ran the thunderbolts and he's like, why are you still? Because that's how my life about superior versus Spider-Man. Boomerang and Shocker are still wearing their thunderbolt outfits and they still have their little thunderbolt insignias. So yeah, of course Luke Cage would be pissed off about that. Yep. Uh, we get a good reconciliation for the uh, the team, the quote-unquote Sinister Six. Uh, some funny bits, a lot of um, interesting stuff with this bartender character and uh, and Boomerang um, just flirting and being silly. Who would have thought Boomerang would be such a right? Like out? I am, I will take a Nick Spencer written uh, yeah. Boomerang ongoing, please and thank you. That's what we've got. Yeah. Ongoing. Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Is this ongoing? You ask that every month. Yes, it's an ongoing series. It's not a limited series. I win! What? You've asked me that like three times. Uh, ever since issue number one came out. It's, Let's it, agree to disagree, but is, I'm very excited is, by that. It is an ongoing series. That is the best news yeah, I've heard man. in this podcast. Haven't you seen it on the cover? It's not like, it's not like three of eight. It's yeah, I don't three. know. We don't always put of whatever. Superior Foes of Spider-Man is an ongoing series. Well, that is terrific. Yeah, so I'm very excited, and I am... Also excited by the end of the issue, I, which has a great... I really uh, wanted to be reading that over Strami's shoulder. Right? Like, it oh, there's a great shocker moment. All right, another real treat this week. Uh, for a mere $7.99, you can pick up Thor and the Mighty Avengers, which reprints select issues of Thor, the Mighty Avenger, one of our favorite books from the last few years, written by Roger Langridge, drawn by Chris Somney. It has his team-ups with various Avengers cast members, including Giant Man, Captain Britain, Namor, Captain America, Iron Man. These are awesome stories. The Hercules story isn't in there? I don't know. Let's put them through to see which ones are in here. I don't think so. I didn't see it. I, uh, so the Captain America one, which was a one-shot, is in there. The Iron Man one's in there. Namor, Captain Britain and the Warriors 3, and Giant Man and the Wasp. So Captain Britain one is really good. No Hercules one in here, but these were great stories. We have touted these. These are good for all ages. Uh, not kid stories at all. They're just fun Got a lot of heart, uh, really make you feel good type of comics. These are, these are good, good comics. Yeah. So if you didn't get them the first time, check them out here. Yeah. Finally, Thunderbolts number 16, another Infinity crossover, written by Charles Soule, art by Hefty Apollo. I love what Charles Soule has done with this book. He's really made it kind of the black humor book of the Marvel Universe. Kind of fits in nicely with something like Superior Foes of Spider-Man, Freedom Back to Back. Um, is another view of Thanos' aliens invading New York. And while they're doing that, the Thunderbolts are on Punisher's mission to try to take down this mob family. We have these hapless mobsters running around trying to save themselves from the aliens. Uh, so all the mob guys end up in one building. So one aspect of the story is Punisher, Elektra, and Venom trying to track them down. Another aspect is Red Hulk leaping into the action and fighting some of Thanos' lieutenants, fighting some of the aliens. And then the third little thread is Deadpool having great moments as he's still trying to get a slice of pizza from his favorite pizza place. He ends up fighting aliens, and I, there's just this great place where the aliens, for some reason, are at like a wishing well. They're trying to steal coins. And I love that. really pisses Deadpool off because he says, he just goes, you don't steal people's wishes. And he goes crazy. But that's kind of emblematic of this whole book. The dialogue is razor sharp. The art is so crazy. It's Hefte Apollo, so it's very angular and it's very out there. It's 
funny, it's action-packed. I really love how these characters interact. This is shooting to the top of my list. It's one of my favorites, and I love the Punisher in here too. He is just such uh, kind of, you know, he's a Punisher, he's, he's, he's a jerk. He is uh, not playing nice with anybody. He's very single-minded. Very He's single-minded. got one purpose, and he does not care yeah. what he needs to do to get that purpose completed. And I like how he plays off of Venom, who is the one guy on this team who wants to do things the right way. Also, he realizes Venom is pretty naive as a yeah. hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He totally... Punisher takes advantage of that. Venom's a little... I mean, Venom, in all honesty, is probably one of the more powerful members of the team, but he clearly is scared of the Punisher, and, you know, it's kind of defers to him. It's Flash Thompson. It makes sense. Um, and we'd see a little more mercy in this issue. I really like this issue. I mm. really like where Thunderbolts is heading. I think this is a strong start, and I think their Infinity tie-ins have added a really nice new degree to the event. Yeah. Time to pick our Twin of the Week. Uh, for me, it's tough. It's between Superior Foes, All-New X-Men number 17, and uh, what was my other one? Mighty Avengers, but I think I'm going to go with all-new X-Men number 17. I don't have to go far because Thunderbolts was my favorite. Nice. I love it, and I just talked about it, so I don't have to say anything more about it. But all those you said are good, and really, if you guys have never read Thor the Mighty Avenger, please pick up that reprint volume. You better read it right now. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. All right, on to collections on sale this week. we got a big one to kick things off. We should actually take a sec to talk about this. Avengers Endless Wartime, which is an original graphic novel out in hardcover this week by Warren Ellis and Mike McCone. We've been talking about this for months. It's our first in our new line of original graphic novels. Uh, it's From what I've seen, it's pretty awesome. Uh, we've talked to, we talked to Mike McCone about it in San Diego. Uh, the story preview pages we released have been great. And if this does well, obviously we're going to keep doing a lot of cool original graphic novels. So we definitely want to pick this up. It's got a lot of AR in it, too. Yeah, it, was, it also has an introduction by Clark Gregg right. from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as well as an AR video in the introduction that is separate from the introduction. What? So you get the introduction that he wrote. Then you also get the video that he filmed talking about the book. And he's Clark's the best. Yeah. So it was cool. So besides that, we also have Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, Last Shot, in trade paperback, Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman, Omnibus, Volume 1, in hardcover. The original Fantastic Four, Omnibus, Volume 1, hardcover, that is a re-release. That's first, like, I don't know, 50 or so issues of Fantastic mm. Four. Halo, over- Oversized Collection, in hardcover. Thor by Walter Simonson, Volume 2, in trade paperback. Thor Season 1, out in hardcover. So that's a big one as we get ready for Thor The Dark World. That's a new one, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Brand new, brand new. Who's it? Do you remember the creative team? I believe team? Matt Sturgis wrote it. Um, I don't know who drew it off the top of my head. Uh, what if AVX is out in trade paperback and Wolverine Blood Wedding also out in trade paperback? Blood Wedding. Yeah, it sounds like a he, he song. He marries Viper in that one. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to the Marvel app. We've got everything we talked about uh, as well as Wolverine, Japan's Most Wanted, Infinite Comic, number 13. Uh, we've got on sale this week, additionally, Amazing Spider-Man numbers 31 through 40 from the original run, the Ares limited series from 2006, which was awesome, mm-hmm. Avengers Solo from 2011, 1 through 5, Dark Reign Fantastic Four, and Dark Reign Zodiac, those two limited series. Dark Reign Zodiac is really cool, twisted book yes. that went out of there. That's Joe Casey and Nathan Fox. What um, happened to that Zodiac dude? He showed up never, somewhere else, He right? showed up like one other place. But I was he, he was in Vengeance? No, he wasn't in Vengeance. I don't think. He he 
Joe Casey did like a short story in a one shot. Yeah, he's somewhere. He was. He's, he's good. Really, I like. He's really good. Yeah, I think that's a cool character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, collections on the app this week include A plus X Volume One equals awesome, Astonishing X Men Monstrous, Avengers Endless Wartime, Avengers vs X Men Consequences, Black Panther The Bride, the Bride, New Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis Volume Five, Red She Hulk Hell Hath No Fury, and Thor Season One. Over on Marvel Unlimited, new editions this week that are freshly digitized are Daredevil End of Days Number Five. The first issue of the current Guardians of the Galaxy volume. I know you guys have been asking us when that would be added. Well, your day has come. You can start reading Brian Michael Bendis' Guardians of the Galaxy. Road to Oz, number four. Scarlet Spider, number 15. Superior Spider-Man, number six, AU. Ultimate Comics Wolverine, number two. Uncanny Avengers, number five. Current volume of Uncanny X-Force, number three. Wolverine the X-Men, number 27. And current volume of Young Avengers, number three. Yes, very cool. Now it's time to kick it over to Strami for movies, TV, and video games. Strami. Hello there. This week in Marvelites, this is Marvel.com associate editor Mark Strom with you once more from gorgeous, sunny, well, somewhat cloudy, partly cloudy, but still sunny and gorgeous Los Angeles with the latest in what is available and on air this week in Marvel. Starting things off, we have Marvel Puzzle Quest Dark Rain, which is now available on iOS and Android devices. It's a free app download, so you can get it and start your adventure right now. I've had the chance to play a little bit of it. It is highly addictive, so just understand that if you start playing, you may lose an hour or two in your day. And, yeah, it's a great time if you're a fan of Puzzle Quest or if you're a fan of Marvel or if you're a fan of both of them, you will highly enjoy it. And, of course, it takes a number of elements from the Dark Reign storyline from three or four years ago now. So, fans of Marvel history will find a number of things to really appreciate in there. Then, this week... In Marvel Animation, we have two big events. The first is Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man makes its premiere on the Disney Channel this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time with a special two-part Halloween event. And for this, we've really brought out every single Halloween, spooky, supernatural guest star you can possibly imagine. We've got, of course, the main villain being Dracula, who you have already met in an episode of Marvel's Avengers Assemble about a month-ish ago. But we've got some really, really great guest stars, including Blade, Man-Thing, Werewolf by Night, Living Mummy, Frankenstein's Monster, all teaming up together with Spidey to face Dracula. And... It only gets worse, as in the second part of this two-part event, Dracula actually takes over Spidey's friends and teammates. So, they have two, they being Spider-Man and the Howling Commandos, as we're calling them in the series, have to take the battle to Dracula to free Spidey's friends. Special one-hour, two-part event, two all-new episodes... Very, very, very good, if I do say so myself. Check them out this Saturday night, Disney Channel, 
9 p.m. Eastern Time. Then, this week, we actually have no new Marvel Universe because we have a special Thor-centric event on Disney XD Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. It's Thor's Roarin' Night of Thunder, featuring an all-new episode of Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which... You guessed it. Guest stars Thor. It is titled Hulk's on Ice, and it features Hulk and his team, Red Hulk, She-Hulk, Scar, and A-Bomb, teaming up with Thor to go against Laufey and the Frost Giants, who are out to freeze the entire world whole, because... I don't know. I guess that's just what you do when you're a frost giant and you're mean and you really want to make everyone very cold. Following that, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we are rebroadcasting an episode of Marvel's Avengers Assemble, The Serpent of Doom. This was episode four of the series, and if you remember, it's the episode in which Doom takes control of the Midgard Serpent, and Thor has to potentially sacrifice himself in order to stop this huge, huge threat. And when I say huge, I mean it's the Midgard Serpent literally gets rather gigantic and huge, and then Dr. Doom starts riding around um, with his little battle axe, and it's crazy. You'll love it. Check it out beginning this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Disney XD. That covers everything that is on air and available for this week. So with that, I'll jump you guys back to New York, but I will be back with you again shortly. Hello, we're back. Thank you, Strami. Uh, Great stuff, as always. Okay, Ben, what do we got for news? All right, the main thrust is we're getting ready for New York Comic Con. If you guys have been anywhere near the internet, anywhere near Marvel.com, you've seen about a zillion all-new Marvel Now teasers. Those will all be unveiled at New York Comic Con. I'm not even going to bother listing them all here because I think there's like 12 out already. Pizza. Yeah, it's just a word and a creative team. There's some really fun stuff. Yeah. We should do our. We should do some of our own. Portable. Yeah. Portable. <laughs> but yeah. Wistful. Stay, stay tuned. Next week's New York Comic Con. I can't believe next week is New York Comic Con. Uh, Ryan's gonna talk about it more, but we'll have all that there. Uh, we talked about Captain America: Living Legend earlier on the podcast. Well, Andy Diggle sat down with our own Jim Beard and talked about the process of getting that book together. We also showed off a bunch of cool variant covers. Uh, I don't know if you know this, there's two variant covers for each of that issue, and it's by some really neat artists, including Neil Gaiman, <laughs> I was about to say Neil Gaiman, Neil Adams, um, Neil Adams did a cover, Walt Simonson did a cover, uh, some really cool veterans and newcomers alike. Uh, there's some other ones coming up that I don't know if I can talk about them yet, but cool. at least one guy who has not worked for us for a little while did, did a cover for there, and it's heralding more stuff. Dave Sim? Not Dave Sim. Mm. Not Dave Sim. This time. Dave not, Sim came up last week, not, too. Not in the first four I'm going to do what I can to mention Dave Sim every week. Was that during the Tom and Nick section? Yeah. I did not listen to the Tom and Nick section last week. I listened uh, to you. I made you... Nick really uncomfortable. Oh, great. What did you do? We talked about spider taint a lot. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw that. That's a popular, uh, that's a popular thing now. The kids are all about it. All right. Speaking of popular things, Sammy Humphreys was also on Marvel.com this week talking to Tim O'Shea about Uncanny X-Force. Showed off some pages from Mr. Adrian Alfona. You want to check those out. I know you're a big Alfona. Alfona bite. Alfona fight? Alfona fight. Alfona fight. And finally, we got some stuff from Cullen Bunn on Deadpool Kills Deadpool and what's next for him and Wade Wilson. Awesome. Uh, This, well, actually today, 
but in the past when you're listening to this, we got the okay to talk about our Thor, the Dark World set visit from last year. Mm. Actually went right around the time of Hurricane Sandy. Um, it was the same time I got off the plane from London, drove home, uh, got a different bag, was driven oh, yeah, back to the one. airport by my wife, I got put on a plane to go to California and then Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was crazy. Yeah, I remember that week. Let me reiterate. That was crazy. No. Uh, so, but in in England and London, I went to the set, saw lots of cool stuff um, that some of it you've seen in the trailers, like some of the big halls. Uh, but there's some really cool technology that you're going to see more of uh, in Asgard. You're going to get a really good look at Asgard, and I've seen it. It looks really neat. Uh, we got to talk with Hemsworth and Alan Taylor and Mr. Hiddleston, all kinds of fun stuff. So we'll we'll have more stories. There's photos. Uh, I got to hold Mjolnir, the one of the actual Mjolnir that they used in the movie. That was neat. Very cool stuff. Strami will have a lot more on that coming up. I expect next week's episode to have many tweets about uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Episode 2, which airs tonight for us, yep. which will have aired in the past for you. Oh my goodness, you guys are going to bug out. I will say no more. Uh, New York Comic Con is coming up. We are scheduling tons of stuff. Blake was very excited today because he booked Booger. Yep. Curtis, and- uh, Curtis Armstrong. He was just on New Girl last week. Yeah, he was the principal yeah. in, uh, in her is school. He, yeah, he has, that's not his first appearance on that show, is it? Maybe. I, well, it's a new school for her. So I, I think it's it a is. school, but I feel like she got hired there last season. Maybe. I don't remember. Anyway, Anyhow. it's going to be exciting. Uh, we got lots of guests, lots of guests. And we're going to be live from, goodness, 3 p.m. on Thursday Eastern until 9 p.m. And then every day, 10 to 7 throughout the rest of the weekend. Well, Sunday, 10 to 5. 10 to 5. Unless we're staying after the show closes, which I could happen. Yeah, I mean, if we have to clean Who up. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, very exciting. We're going to do a live this week in Marvel, as we have done the past couple of conventions. That's on next Thursday. Yep. Uh, I think I have it booked in the schedule for 5.30 p.m. Cool. Eastern next Thursday. So, so Who knows who will be on that with us? Yeah, I mean, we'll just start pulling people in. Yep. Yeah, maybe around. we'll get Hornswoggle. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, uh, so it's going to be fun. New York Comic Con's a big thing. We've got 11 live blogs. We've got tons of news coming. Uh, all kinds of stuff from video games to comics, TV. It's going to be great. A lot of fun swag, which you'll see. Um, yeah, hope you guys can follow along. And remember, our hashtag for that will be MarvelNYCC. Very exciting. All right, over to Mark for more news. Hello once again. This week in Marvelites, Marvel.com Associate Editor Mark Strom joining you once more with the latest movies, TV, and games news for Marvel. And there's so much of it that I am just going to arbitrarily pick where to start, and I arbitrarily pick to start with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, of course, had a new episode this week. We've got another new episode coming up this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. This episode is titled The Asset and features Dr. Franklin Hall, who... If you are a Marvel historian, that name may ring a bell or two. And if you're not, maybe just do a little googly search on the internetties. I'm never calling them the internetties again. I wholly apologize for that. But you can check it out. 
And we've got tons of preview stuff for you coming up for it, including a new image from the episode, which will come out this Monday. We will exclusively debut it on Marvel.com. There will be a new episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Declassified this Monday. And if you haven't seen it yet, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Declassified is a web series that takes you behind the scenes of the series. It features preview clips from the upcoming episode. It features recaps of what's come before. It features sometimes some special guest stars from the cast. You never know what will happen or who will show up in it. So... Check that out on Marvel.com. We will have that for you next Monday and every Monday before a new episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, we also showed you the safety pamphlet for the bus, as Coulson calls it, is the plane that Coulson and his team used to jet around the world. And, of course, the safety pamphlet played a significant role in this week's episode, this past Tuesday's episode. You can see it for yourself now on Marvel.com. And we are debuting a new logline, a new synopsis for the series for episode five, I believe. Yes, season one, episode five. I can't say too much about that because I don't know if it'll be up by the time this podcast is up, but you should check out Marvel.com, head over to the TV section, and you'll be able to find it there. Let's stick with TV for now and jump on over to Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man. I mentioned that we have the two-part Halloween event this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Disney Channel. To celebrate, we've been bringing you tons of news, tons of interviews, lots of stuff. First up, you can download the first part of this two-part event on iTunes now for free, the full episode. Of course, to see how it all ends, you will have to watch it on the Disney Channel, but at least you can get a taste of it with that first half. We have a preview clip from the event. We have an interview with Terry Crews, the actor who is currently on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who voices Blade in these two episodes. We brought you some bios on the Howling Commandos. Of course, that's Man-Thing, Werewolf by Night, Living Mummy, Frankenstein the Monster, as well as Blade. It brought you some of their history from the comics, getting you up to speed in case you were curious to learn more about any of them. In other animation news, we had a new edition of the Avengers Hold Court, which is our regular sort of post-game of Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Every time there's a new episode, we will speak with supervising producer Court Lane about it the following Monday. So this time, we talked about last Sunday's episode, which was Hulked Out Heroes. It features, well, the Avengers all hulked out. And it was a really great episode for Hulk because it got to show him in a new light. All of a sudden, he was leading the group. He was teaching them how to channel their their anger and their energy. And I think the Avengers really got a new understanding of the Hulk and what it takes to be him. There's also a lot of great character interaction between the Hulk and Black Widow. Check it out. We talked with Court about all of that. Head over to Marvel.com TV section. You'll find it over there. Let's jump now over to the 
film side of things with some news on Thor The Dark World. We had a new TV spot that debuted during Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this past Tuesday. We have it now on Marvel.com as well as our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Marvel. Check it out there. Two new posters for you this week. We've got Volsteg, played by Ray Stevenson in the film. He's wheeling his giant axe and just slicing through a ton of dark elves like they're nothing. It's awesome. We also have a great new poster of Fandrel, played by Zachary Levi in the film. And it really, what I love about it is really he's in this little stance and he really captures that whole swashbuckler element to his character. You can check them both out on Marvel.com. We also brought you a dozen new images from the movie. A few behind-the-scenes shots, including my favorite, which was this shot of a long row of Loki's helmets that were used in the film. And a bunch of new shots of Malekith, of Thor, of Loki, of Jane Foster. Check them out all right now. Marvel.com. Head over to the movie section. You'll see them. And finally, rounding things out with games. Of course, we talked about how Marvel Puzzle Quest Dark Reign launched this week. We have to celebrate a trailer for the game. And we also have a video that Ryan did where he visited the developer in Boston and he chatted with a lot of the guys responsible for making this really great, really addictive game. You can check that out. That will That is actually not up yet, but it will be up tomorrow. If you're listening to this when the podcast goes live, it'll be up on Friday. You'll be able to check it out on Marvel.com in the game section, as well as at our YouTube channel. And rounding things out, we had a triptych of Lego Marvel superheroes. Wait, Lego Marvel. Yes, that's the correct title of the game. Lego Marvel Superheroes news. We had the full video of the Lego Marvel Superheroes presentation at the Marvel Video Games panel at San Diego Comic Con, featuring special guest appearances by uh, editor in chief Axel Alonso, uh, chief creative officer Joe Casada, and. The legend himself, Stan the Man Lee, who, of course, San Diego was when we announced that Stan would be a playable character in the game. So you can check out that whole thing now on Marvel.com Air YouTube channel. And we also showed off some of the vehicles from the game, including the pool scooter, the X-Jet, which is my personal favorite. It's the sort of classic Blackbird that the X-Men fly around in. We got the Goblin Chopper, the Spider Copter. Check them all out right now. As well as an only poster for the game featuring some of the villains that you'll see. It's a really great shot. And along with that, we also debuted new images of... We're actually... Well, we revealed that MODOK will be in the game as well as debuting those new images. So that you have to look forward to. And of course, since all these characters are playable, that means that you will be able to play as MODOK in LEGO Marvel Superheroes. That pretty much covers everything this week, I believe. I hope I didn't forget anything. If I did, please forgive me. But I will speak to you again in seven more days. Until then, I hope you have a great week, a splendiferous weekend, 
and thank you for listening. All right, thank you, Mark. Big, big, big stuff. All right, time for This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. Questions yeah. and comments. Uh, we're going to get to all those. You guys have used the hashtag TwimURC. We are talking about X-Men The Dark Phoenix Saga this week. Yes. Crucial storyline. Uh, one note before we get into things. I did not include every tweet that you guys posted. Uh, a lot of them were just an image with some snarky commentary. While those are funny, uh, you can read them on Twitter. Just check out the hashtag. Lots of great stuff in there. Uh, we still have a little of it, but we, we actually had more tweets and stuff this week than we probably have had it's in a while. Crazy. So I had to tone it down a little bit, but thank you guys for being so excited and right. uh, you know really talking about this stuff. It was great. Uh, I had, it was the first time I read... Dark Phoenix Saga in probably 10 years. It's been a while since I read it, and uh, it was, still holds up, still hella yeah. good. I hadn't read it in a while either. I read it on my flight to and from Europe, uh, so I was kind of a captive audience. I was amazed at how much is packed into this story, because it's not just, I forget that it's not just the Phoenix story. You get the first appearance of Kitty Pride, mm-hmm. first appearance of Emma Frost, first appearance of Dazzler, really the emergence of the Hellfire Club, as a threat and it's a huge story like there's so much stuff in it and I remember I don't know if you remember this but before I ever read the comics because you know when I was a kid they didn't have a lot of trade paperbacks and I didn't have didn't have access to the back issues of Dark Phoenix Saga so I'm pretty sure the first exposure I had to Dark Phoenix Saga was through the cartoon uh, <laughs> the animated series but you laugh but going back and reading this this was remarkable. They were remarkably uh, faithful. Really? Yeah. It was like there were there were a few differences, and obviously, you know, they had to compress stuff for uh, cartoon, and there were different characters like Gambit was in it, and Rogue was in it, and you know, uh, Nightcrawler and Colossus were not. But they maintained a lot from the book to the cartoon, um, like big chunks. Um, the ending is different, which is the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. But. Um, like all the Hellfire Club stuff's in there. Uh, Dazz- what's the, Dazzler's in there. What's the ending in the cartoon? She lives. They just... Wah, yeah, wah, she, wah. She, she gets to live. They basically do the ending that they always talked about here. Uh, I, the biggest change, honestly, is that they can't call the Hellfire Club the Hellfire Club because it was a Saturday morning cartoon, so it's it's just the inner circle club. Um, <laughs> the but, Heckfire Club. But, but a lot of the fight stuff, like the Wolverine stuff where he's in the sewer, that's all there. Wolverine, I think his speech that he gives to the um, soldier where he's like, you know, Wolverine's got the adamantium skeleton. Can you do this quick enough? He does that. Um, all the stuff with Shaw and with uh, Leland and all of them. And even the, like, Dark Phoenix driving mastermind crazy bit uh. is in there. That was um, one of my favorite scenes. All the cameos from, like, Spider-Man and from Doctor Strange. Uh, Captain Britain was in it for some reason. I remember it very vividly. It was amazing to me to go back and read this. That uh, there's a, The one thing that was in the TV show that wasn't here, which I was actually waiting for in here but didn't happen, so they had a whole side episode where uh, Xavier turns dark and uh, he messes with everyone. I was waiting for that here because Xavier's kind of a jerk throughout this. Yeah. But I forgot that's just kind of how he was in the <laughs> yeah, He was such a jerk. Yeah, like, <laughs> I love the scene where he goes to Cyclops, tell Wolverine he's getting ten demerits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. Yeah, like, what? What is that about? But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's really it's really three stories in one. It's You have the fight with Emma Frost that introduces Kitty Pride and Dazzler. You have 
the Hellfire Club stuff, which stands alone, and then which is weird to me because Emma's not even in that. No, she's it's, not. Yeah, it's it's actually the crazy is they think she's dead. They think they kill Emma Frost after their first encounter. Like Jean Grey, like collapses a building on her. Right. Um, very casually, by the way. They're oh no, like, there's a lot of casual killing yeah. in this. It's really intense. Like Wolverine, and you know Wolverine now he kills, but yeah. like then it was sort of like you know. Where's Wolverine? Oh, he had to deal with some people. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, legit. He stabbed those dudes in the face. No, it's like, but it's Cyclops' attitude to it, where it's like, where Cyclops like is like, where's that guy? And like, their Nightcrawler calls like, oh, Wolverine went to deal with him. And Cyclops is like, great. Like he's well, like, oh, I guess well. I'll just go <laughs> yeah. over here. He's like, Professor X is gonna be pissed about that. But then he just, you know, yeah. he's doing it. But then I like that Wolverine actually makes a point when he's fighting some Hellfire Club goons later. He's like. I don't know if these guys are just paid mercenaries. I'm not going to use my claws on them. Like, yeah, I'll, yeah. There's like the I'll goons and the wigs. Uh, yeah, he makes a distinction. He's like, if you're a Hellfire Club, like you know, skull mask bad guy, he's going to kill you. But if you're just like a powdered wig guy who works at the club, yeah, you're good. Wolverine will let you go. But man, like, it's crazy. I mean, you know, nowadays it's hard to come up with creative power. But I'm trying to think back in the day how cool uh, Sebastian Shaw's power was. Like, just the fact that they just hit him and they couldn't figure out that, you know, they, they, they couldn't do anything to him because yeah. he absorbed all of that. And I was like, you know, back in the day, that must have been amazing. But yeah, Emma Frost is dead by the end of the second issue, supposedly. I have no, I don't remember how she came back because I think I read all these, like, essentials. I only go back and check, but yeah. And, and that doesn't even get into, like, the big cosmic yeah. fighting the Shi'ar, her going crazy, fighting the X-Men. It's really heartbreaking because it's like... So many times it seems like Jean Grey is going to be okay. So they fake you out so many times, and then she's not. And this is a good story if you don't have a big affinity for Jean Grey. This is a good one to mm. sort of you you learn to like the character. You see that she's got all these connections to all the to the heart of the X Men mm-hmm. and like how close she is to Storm and all these things. And you're like, wow, all right, she's great. And then oh god, what is going on? And the enormity of the Phoenix uh, and how yeah. intense and scary that was is really played out here. And it's good. If you read AVX, this is definitely something that will add a bunch of layers to that that yeah. you may not have had before. And I didn't realize um, how long she was the Phoenix. Because I, I think I had it in my head that she basically became the Phoenix. They did like two or three stories and then they had the Dark Phoenix saga. But this goes to like, I, I remember she became the Phoenix in Uncanny X-Men 100. And this ends in 37, so she was Phoenix for, like, a good... She had died, quote-unquote, in somewhere in there. Yeah, but she came back pretty... She came back quickly. quickly. Yeah. She wasn't gone for very long. Like, she was definitely Phoenix for a good mm. amount of time. So, anyway, it was a really good story. Yeah. John Bird's art Oh, my was God. Tremendous. Ridiculous. Like, if I saw it today, I'd be like, wow. That guy this guy's good. Nuts. Um, all the art looks really great. Yeah. Um, Claremont really just had a knack for... You know, I, I think in, in in later years, because he was on the X Men for like forever, and people kind of took for granted how good he was at the big Shakespearean, you know, narration and uh, just the casual dialogue. But he's so good. Yeah, these characters just feel so real. Yeah, and say what you will about you know the, all the exposition, it does a great job of telling you who these characters are, Absolutely. where they are in their lives, where they are in the story. 
and you know it, it adds it's a little verbose but at the same time this was meant for people to just come in randomly sure. you know and you could pick up any of these issues and jump right in yeah i mean stuff like you know beast is an avenger but he comes into the story yeah. like it's it's not if you're reading this and have no knowledge of Marvel Universe, you get like, oh, all right, he's, he used to be with them, and now he's a member of another superhero team. It was really, really well done. Yeah. This is not just an X-Men classic. This is definitely an all-time classic. Totally. All right, so we're going to jump into what you guys had to say. First up is Drew Hamilton. He said, first time reading Dark Phoenix Saga. Wish I had before ABX, which goes to show how Marvel has crazy rich history. Yeah. Yeah, we really should have uh, directed people to this before. Yeah, <laughs> it's been so, it had been so long since we yeah. read it. Oh, well. Uh, another one from Drew. He said, so Kitty was 13 and a half years old during Dark Phoenix Saga. With Marvel's sliding timeline, does that still make sense? What I have to say to that is don't think about it too much. Don't think if you can much. suspend your disbelief to a guy with a metal skeleton and yeah. claws uh, fighting robots in space and a bird that takes over a woman and kills five billion people by eating a star. I like that, a bird. Yeah. Like a, it's just a bird. A bird. You can handle the fact that yeah. age is maybe a little nebulous in the Marvel Yeah, but, I mean, they did... When they, when they, when they did on X-Men, that was always a major plot point, was that she was young. And she mm-hmm. still is young. She's younger than the rest of the yeah. team. They've actually done a really good job of keeping Kitty definitely separated from everyone else. Like, I think officially she's like... 18 or something now. No, um, she's got to be older than that. She has to be because she's like headmistress and all that true. stuff. Oh, yeah, and she was in college for a bit. Yeah. I mean, a... she's she's still young is my point. She's definitely like a good five to ten. I'm not going to – let's not try to figure it out. But yeah. I do remember that – She's in her mid to late 20s. But I do remember that it was a big thing when her and Colossus started dating because even though he wasn't old, it was yeah. like – he's like, I can't Whoa. date you. You're well, yeah, really they, young. They, there's a tiny bit of that in the first time that they meet. And she's like, you did all that. And he's like, what? There's a girl talking to me. S- when they start, I remember from the other X-Men stories, when they start dating, it's definitely a thing where they're like – like the other X Men are like, oh, this is a little illicit, little weird. Yeah, but they always have a point. She's much smarter than most girls her age, and she's a little more mature. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a whole rabbit hole. Yes. All right, gay comic guy. My first impression of Xavier in this these issues is that he's a total jerk. His tension with Cyclops takes on new depth after ABX. Yeah, I think you know Xavier got a bad rap in the last few years. For some, like, you know, he always had his dark secrets and stuff like that. But the thing was, as written from pretty much his introduction through to when he came back from space in the 90s, he was. Yeah. Like, Xavier was always, I mean, he was, he was, he was, you know, he had his dream and he was a good guy and all of this, but he was hardcore on his students. He was really like a taskmaster and just, you know. A lot of a lot of stuff like that. So yeah, Xavier does come off as a total jerk in this, and they got a lot of good stories out of that. They got a lot of stories out of the fact that you know he bristled against some of his more yeah. free spirited students. Also, love young Kitty Pride. She's always been strong and ready to jump into action, even as a tween. No wonder Dazzler became a roller skating cult classic character. His her debut is Dynamite. Love rereading the first Emma Frost and Jean Grey fight. Her power is a song within her. Love Claremont and Byrne. Yeah, that was another thing was getting to reread the Emma Frost and Grey fight with the knowledge of, you know, everything that's happened yeah, since Yeah, everything then. that comes together. It later. really adds layers to, like, you know, how much, you know. In, in the first time they met, they just hated each other. Yeah, and, and 
really that's the only time that they have interaction yep. for a long, for long, years. long time because Jean dies and yep. she doesn't come back for for quite a while, and Emma sort of emerges through the X Men yep. in a separate track. It's, it's crazy. But you can see from the first encounter why Emma to this day has this like almost pathological inferiority complex oh, when yeah. it comes to Jean Grey because she. <laughs> Emma Frost thinks she's the greatest thing ever. She's never been, you know, touched by anyone. And then Jean Grey, as the Phoenix, just comes and completely obliterates she, her. Like Jean says, she's playing with her to yeah. test her limits, essentially. Exactly. And you, you <laughs> see the origin here. Yeah. New X-Men, the seduction of Phoenix, and the intro and ass-kicking of the Hellfire Club. This arc has it all. It's interesting how Claremont infuses lust, sexuality, passion into his Dark Phoenix story. True seduction of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Claremont always played with pretty adult themes in ways that could be told in an all-ages comic. There's definitely sexy time going on in this book. Dude, the Hellfire Club? Come on. Oh, man, the he- not just the Hellfire Club. Up on the in, oh, in, up in, in the, Colorado, the mountain in Colorado, Jean's like, let's get it on. Yeah, no kidding. But I mean, the Hellfire Club is like a walking like. Oh, yeah. It is. Perv Central. Yeah, it's Perv Central. Final chapter of Dark Phoenix Saga is just classic and moving. Shows the strength and the tragedy of the X-Men. Love it. Basically, Dark Phoenix can be summed up with Jean. See, that's why you got to watch the animated series version, because you know Cyclops just belts that out. Oh, yeah. Time and again. Also set the stage for pretty much every major X-Men story after that, all the way to A plus X. It means AVX and Battle of the Atom. Yeah. And we're still seeing it to this day. Totally. James Frankie says, is there any explanation as to how Donald Pierce is the only non-mutant in the Hellfire Club's inner circle? I, well, the thing is, it's not they're not a mutant club. No, they're, they just happen to have mutants in there. Yeah, they're a, a, a long-established club. Yeah. Pierce just has gained power and gotten himself to that point in the inner circle. Yeah, there would be various inner circles to come, and they would have humans and demons and all sorts of different things. It was just basically, you know... A powerful grouping, and in this incarnation, because Sebastian Shaw, who's the leader, is a mutant, he happened to have a few other mutants in there with him. Yeah. James says John Byrne's art is so perfect. The facial expressions are so believable. Classic superhero look, but with a real elegance. It's mm-hmm. true. And he says, "Mastermind, what an unfortunate-looking dude. Get this guy a haircut and a new coat." It's true, though. Like, you know, he's 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 fugly, but you can <laughs> you can give him a haircut. You can. You know, give him some grooming tips. He could probably look a little bit more presentable. But yeah, I like that his whole deal is like he he makes him look he makes himself look like this ultimate dreamboat through the whole thing. And I love when he gets stripped away and yeah. just, you know he looks like creepy old mastermind. Totally. John Dave McCusker says just a, such a good choice of book this week. Classic. Glad you liked it, John. Johnny Temple's twenty five. Kyle Charles starting my twin URC homework, The Dark Phoenix Saga, reading it for the second time this year. Wow, wow. very cool. I love what Wolverine is wearing the first issues. He looks like a pint-sized cowboy. Totally does. Is he, he really he doesn't just have the cowboy hat. He has like the leathers and the, like the brown leather. Jacket My favorite thing is in those issues with Kitty, they go to the malt shop. Yeah, which is such a throwback. A oh, nice. Yeah. They go to the malt shop, and then you get Wolverine one reading Hustler, two yeah. reading Penthouse, and he gets caught reading Penthouse by the store owner, and Klaus is like, "Oh, what are we gonna do?" Yeah, and Wolverine's like, "I'm gonna stab this guy in the face if he doesn't shut up." It's great. It's, it's it's ridiculous. People don't understand how much fun this group of X-Men were when they first showed up because it wasn't like, you know, they didn't know everybody. They, knew it was, they were just these weirdos. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine hanging out in a malt shop was tremendous. You know, Kitty and Storm, but just the, 
the shenanigans. And if you would throw Nightcrawler in there, yeah. I remember old issues where like Colossus and Nightcrawler would try to hit on girls, and it was amazing. And you're right, Wolverine would always just be like, "I'm." He was so out of place all the time. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so when did Scott start to hate Jamie Madrox, and how long did Lorna and Alex stay in Scotland before joining the X-Men again? That's going back to the very beginning of the story. Yeah, because this, this follows right after the big Proteus saga. Right, literally. Issue after issue. So there's yeah. two huge... You know, um, the Proteus saga is awesome, too. Yeah. Yeah, Proteus saga, we should revisit that at some point in the future. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's funny how they're inviting Madrox to join the X-Men in this issue. So I'm like, wow, how different would things have been if Madrox had joined the X-Men, like, back in the 70s? That would have been kind of cool. But uh, in terms of Scott not getting along with Jamie, that's recent. That's like last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, you know, schism and Nation X stuff. Uh, Lorna and Alex did not stay in Scotland for very long, but they didn't really rejoin the X-Men for years. Um, they would occasionally show up. Uh, they were always kind of on the periphery. The thing about Havoc and Polaris that I always liked is they always wanted to have a normal life. They never wanted to be superheroes, but they always would get dragged back in. They were never like, excited to be X-Men. Yeah. So you would see this scene repeat where, you know, someone would be like, so you guys want to join the X-Men? No, we're going to go try to live a normal life. And that would last like 20 issues before someone kidnaps them and yep. they're screwed again. So here we go. So were malt shops the 80s version of Starbucks? Sorry, I'm a child of the 90s. No, I don't They were just. Think they so. were just There's like a, things. you know, like a place you go to get sodas yeah. and ice cream and I stuff. I, I mean, this was early '80s too, though. Yeah. Like, I, I, by the time I was growing up, I don't remember them being called malt shops. I, I, I could see it being in suburban Chicago. Yeah, you know, like in the suburbs. Yeah, there's you know. The last vestiges. If you go, if you watch the Back to the Future program, oh, okay. uh, the original one, they go to a malt shop. That's true, um, and that's where there's a whole bunch of scenes in. I guess um, it's more of a like Middle America thing. Yeah, it's more. It's more. I bet they're still around today. It's more of a. We. I have sort of have yeah. one in my neighborhood. I think it's more regional than it is time period. Yeah, sure, sure. So is Dazzler the Carly Rae Jepsen of the 80s? Because if she is, I would buy tickets to her concert. I don't know what that means. It's a very current reference. Too current. Okay. Give, give it some time. Is it is that a Skrillex type thing? I guess. I don't know. This, this is terrible. Question. Where were Iceman and Angel during this time? Uh, Iceman was in college studying to become an accountant. Was this pre that. or post champions? This is pre-Champions. Um, yeah, because they had just left the X-Men a couple years earlier. So Iceman was out of the superhero game. He was getting his getting his CPA, being responsible. Um, and Angel, you see during the storyline, he was... Running his company. Hang, yeah, running his company, hanging out in Colorado with his lady. Being bored, being like, I guess I should help out to yeah. do some stuff. I love it. Just, yeah, I love his outfit. Yeah. He's got like the headband, looking oh, as yeah, 80s he first as comes, possible. He's got the big old hide knee socks. Yep. <laughs> This is fantastic. Gotta say, Claremont and Burner are such an awesome team. Claremont is a true legend when it comes to writing a family. Can't believe I actually got somewhat emotional over Gene's death and that's saying something. Now I want to watch the animated version of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Again, I recommend it. Hashtag Gene. I'm not going to yell it out every time someone wrote it. I noticed that Wolverine really liked to tell the readers and whoever was listening to what his claws were made out of. He, w- he wanted you to know and he, yep. you never will forget. Yeah, they, you know. He's under- all, he yeah. also mentioned that he's the best there is at what he does several, several times. times. Yeah. 
Uh, and yet nobody learned how dangerous the Phoenix is. Jean gets a pass for killing a planet, but Scott kills Xavier, and he is a D-Dag. That's she a did... good point, though. Yeah. I mean, she... She, she kills the planet. She does get a pass. And she comes back later, and nobody's like, mm, you still got any Phoenix? Hey, yep. you, you remember those five billion people you killed? It's true. Uh, Maybe you do some time? I guess people were mad at Scott because he killed someone they know. <laughs> and she just killed millions of people they don't know. Yeah, out it's of sight, huge, out of mind. It's a huge double standard in mm. the case of the X-Men in the Marvel Universe. Yep. So who's the younger mem- youngest member of the team at this point, not including Kitty? Uh, it was Colossus. They always yeah. established that he was the... The youngest. He was innocent, naive, Russian farm boy. Yes, he was. know what was going on. All right. Mutant and Proud says, Dark Phoenix Saga is one of the best X-Men stories, and it introduces a favorite X-Men of mine, Shadowcat. And in parentheses, Niccolo's wife. He talked about... Oh, he's getting married to Shadowcat. Yes. Well, Kitty. He talked about that last week. Interesting. Uh, Mutant and Proud also says, Didn't know Jean had a sister. Where'd she go? Uh, I believe she got killed. She did. By the Shi'ar, maybe? Who it, came it down to kill no, her? It was like a long-running subplot of the 80s. Um, was it the 80s? I thought it was, I thought it was much more recent. No, that was the rest of Jean's family. Oh, okay, good. Uh, no, her sister, I forget who did it. It may have been Sinister. It was like, it was something they would mention like once every 30 issues. Like, hey, by the way, whatever happened to Jean Grey's sister? And then at some point in like X-Factor in like the late 80s, she found out that someone killed her years ago jeez um yeah but no then the entire rest of her family a few years ago got killed and they were killed because of a connection that they could possibly have to phoenix yeah Yeah. there was there was a whole thing about it yeah that was when claremont came back so claremont loves killing jean gray and her family yeah it's a whole thing good for him uh last one from mutant and proud he says question is it all caps twim urc or lower caps twim urc when you're hashtagging it really don't matter we'll find it regardless whatever you like use it however you want Penelope Cat has tons, says, uh, from issue 130, from the very start, Kitty was full of spirit. Yeah, I mean, people loved Kitty Pride from the start. She nailed it, yeah, right from the start. I, I just, for, just from reading it, from what I hear from interviews and stuff, like, she was a hugely popular character from the minute she was introduced. Yeah. And, you know, it was a big change of the guard because she gets introduced here, and then the very next issue, 138, after Jean Grey is dead and Cyclops leaves the team, Kitty comes in. So she's the new member of the team she's the first new member of the team since uh they had the big switch over nice so she ended up being a huge part of the x-men in the 80s yes uh says why does dazzler have a reputation of being shallow probably stuff like this and he points out a panel where uh with cyclops and dazzler it's funny thing but you know what it's okay dazzler's awesome dazzler i like dazzler cyclops going if you ever wonder where your light powers come from dazzler just goes nope nope Whatever. I dazzle people. Who cares? Deal with it. Yep. Uh, From 131, he says, Ironic how Emma Frost's relationship with the X-Men developed, given how maniacal she looks on the cover. Yeah, I mean, you know, she started out with them in a... She was a villain for a while. A long time. It's funny, because I'll I'll talk to to people who have just been fans the last few years who only know Emma Frost as a member of the X-Men, and they can't get why older fans sometimes are like, I can't believe Emma Frost is a member of the X-Men to this day. I have friends who are like old school X-Men fans who are like still upset that she's part of the X-Men. You have to read stories like this to understand like she was really, she's not just, you know, a villain. Like she kidnaps them, puts them in cages. She was, she was nasty in the day. Yeah. Um, Penelope Cat says, I do not envy Terry Austin inking Logan's body hair. Yeah. So hairy. We should have mentioned Terry Austin too, because John Byrne never looks better than when he's inked by Terry Austin. Agreed, agreed. He's really tight, yeah. really slick, 
very fine lines. Yeah, it's really nice work. They're an excellent art team. And um, Robert Nolan, Raph Gimlin, replies saying, in some scenes, he winds up looking almost identical to Beast. It's true. Well, there's scenes where he's not wearing anything, so I think that was almost oh, by yeah. necessity. Then. Total <laughs> sexy time Wolverine. Put all that hair on him. Yeah. Uh, Penelope Gett says, Dazzler's roller skates put her in the same class as Iron Man. This is true. Yep. Says uh, Wolverine dealt with the guards. I'm sure they're only unconscious. Like you right. said. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in 132, he says, "Guess the Hellfire Club doesn't have a no shoes, no shirt, no service policy." Points to a picture of Sebastian Shaw yeah. sitting there, standing there, barrel chested with his shirt on. It's great. Sebastian Shaw was super sexy. Yeah. Just uh, back in the day, he had that little bow in his hair, yeah. and he didn't care. He, yeah. The the thing that made Sebastian Shaw the man was that he did not give. Yeah. Anything. He, he was, was just great. like, I look great. Yeah. I look fan. I'm going to wear a Revolutionary War outfit, no shirt, not shave my chest, and I know I look fantastic. <laughs> Ladies, come and get it. Yeah. Uh, and 133 says, Oh my God, what a cliffhanger. Cyclops is dead. And 134, Oh, he's not dead on the very first page. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kind of like that on the very first page. You're just like, Oh, Cyclops is in a coma. Yeah. He's just he's falling down. But uh, you know, you had to wait. I think back, I think when this was coming out, X Men was. was Bi-monthly. I think it came out every other month, so you had to wait two months That's for this. nuts. Not 100%. Wow. Uh, 134, he says, Harry Leland, King Putz. Harry Leland was always my... I, I, I kind of had a soft spot for Harry Leland just because he did not look like a supervillain. No. Overweight I love that power, dude. though, too. Like, yeah. He could increase something's mass. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was another thing with the Hellfire Club. It seems like a simple power, you know, just making something heavier, but they... Because they thrashed the X-Men so soundly, you're like, oh, wow, these guys are intense. Yes. 134 says, Burn and Austin make the moment Gene turns on Mastermind truly creepy. Yeah, Especially the, the last two panels, it's like uh, a shot of the eye, uh, like super open, and then yep. a shot of the eye like after he's been basically mentally destroyed. And again, I'll say that they really do that thing justice in the animated series when they have the animated version of that it's like I think it was as, as a kid I was like oh my god this is this is a little too much this yeah. is creepy for me uh, where are we okay so in 135 it says I know Claremont and Byrne had to change their ending but after destroying a planet it's hard to imagine another ending yeah I guess we should what was yeah what's the I mean, the story behind that was originally Claremont and Byrne or at least Claremont were just gonna keep Gene alive they were gonna you know they were she was going to escape the trial of the Shi'ar and everything, and they were going to expunge Phoenix from her. And I don't know if she's going to lose her powers or just be back to being telekinetic or what, but she was going to be alive and she would be redeemed. And it was Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, said, this character just killed a planet. We cannot let her live. Like, there needs to be repercussions. Like, he was hardcore on that. And they, you know, came to blows about it. Like, Claremont really wanted her to live. She really wanted her to die, and in the end, obviously, the boss won. But that was a big controversy. He was just like, he's like, you can't write a story without consequences. You have to show that it, you know, it's what we were talking about earlier. Like she was ultimately held responsible for her actions, and he yeah. felt at the time he's like, you know, the readers are not gonna, not they're not. You can't have the readers. You can't say to the readers it's okay for her to keep going on and people to forgive her and exactly. stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. There is the Phoenix, the Untold Story, yep. which you can read. Claremont uh, wrote that. I don't remember who have, drew that. They have a page in here, in the or I was reading the because I was reading the trade paperback. They have a page in the trade paperback, the most recent collection we put out, where they actually have, I guess, Byrne drew the first page of one thirty eight 
if Phoenix had lived. Huh. I have in my bag. I'll show it to you later. It's it's just her and Scott like by a pond somewhere. But yeah. it's like this is what would have happened if she had been okay. Wow. All right. Um, where are we? Uh, one thirty six. He says Jimmy Carter's accent feels like Claremont is warming up to write Rogue. Sounds like Blake Garris to yeah, me. He's getting right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thirty six. He says seeing Dark Phoenix use doors and stairs in the Grey House suddenly points out that she's still Jean in there. Yep. Good point. Yep. Ironic that it would turn out after the fact that it's not really Jean after all, according to X Factor. Yeah, I mean that was a whole another thing. I, 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 I a lot of people like to think of this story as it was Jean. A lot of people don't like the X Factor overturn retcon. Yeah. So I don't even want to get into that. Yeah, let's not. Uh, at the end of the day, could Logan have lived with himself? He had killed Gene, especially as he was written at this point? I think so. Yeah. I think definitely. I think he would have tortured himself, but that's what he does every day. Yep. Uh, almost feels as if we are getting a neat, happy ending, then zap, and they get yeah. booted up into space. There was so, that's why I said there were so many, there were so many uh, fake outs in this. Yes. Who better to deliver a recap than The Watcher? I'd have him do it in every book. Nah. <laughs> Uh, Penelope Kitt says I remember waiting in line at a Mark Miller signing and hearing two guys in front of me talking about the Jean Grey Black Queen statue one guy said to the other sometimes I have to remind myself uh, that it's a statue ugh sound like two really classy gentlemen yeah but you know what whatever yeah. they li- let them live their lives you live yours yeah. we'll all be fine yeah. uh, and Penelope Kett says still kudos to Byrne for creating such an iconic iconic image and the image of Wolverine in the sewer yeah, yeah, that, that of course that has been homaged millions of oh, times yeah. just was last week on Canadian Express yep Knowing, I think, that the last few pages were changed at the last minute, the ending now seems a bit rushed. I don't know how last minute it was. I know it came down to the wire. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I didn't feel that it was rushed. I yeah. felt like. I think if you don't know that it was changed, it wouldn't come off weird. Yep. Still, with that knowledge and the repeated resurrections of Gene, the story still has a lot of impact. That is something I actually take issue with. I do this every every time someone says this. They say the repeated deaths and resurrections of Gene Gray. She died in this story. She's brought back once. That was it. But didn't she die previous to this? I don't remember that as being like... They talk about her dying thing. before this. I think... Well, well, she... At the end of... It's, it's as much as... She dies as much as Cyclops dies in this. She died at the end of issue 99. They thought she was dead. And then she comes out of the water in issue number 100. So she's dead for half an issue. But I just... I, I feel like... It's become a joke over the years for people to say, like, oh, my God, all Jean Grey does is die and come back. Like, really, it's only happened, like, one major time. This is the one major time she died. When she came back in the late 80s, that was the one major time she came back. And then she died again, and she hasn't been back since. Yeah, yeah deal with it. Suckers. I don't know. It's just a thing for me. <laughs> Man, get off my lawn. Yeah. Uh, great work from Claremont Byrne, Austin et al., Every issue catches the reader up on the go, so you can jump on board at any point. The art is fantastic, and Claremont writes compelling, distinct characters that you care about. Glad to reread this. All right, over to Robert Nolan. Hmm, quick bit of background information, see what happened recently, and he goes and looks up Proteus, which you guys should go read yourself. It's also available on Marvel Unlimited, so yeah, you can get a nice little prologue It's here. like the five, four or five issues previous to this. Yeah, and it's really, really good. It's the same creative team, same characters, same everything. Nothing quite like casually flicking through Penthouse in the middle of a store. Class act Logan. Yes. We mentioned that Yes, my oh, man. I love it. I found Cyclops, him, her, or it statement a little out of character. I can't see Scott ever calling a fellow mutant an it. Well, I think he... Yeah. No, man. They just dealt with Krakoa, the living island, 
Yeah. Not too long ago, cocoa but, was an it. Yeah. So, so how about them apples? Mutants can be anything. I love that Cyclops has a micro Cerebro unit built into his watch. This was 1980. Now it's 2013. Did the X-Men have an app for that? <laughs> I <laughs> bet they do. Fifth Ave is clearly not a safe place to live. Do the Avengers ever figure out they have dodgy neighbors? That's yeah. A picture of the Hellfire Club I down did, the street. I did dig the, the... That was always a case... The a thing they made a point of saying that the Hellfire Club mansion is like three blocks away from Avengers yeah. Mansion. I don't know if it was there, if it's the same place it was in real life. Because there was yeah. an actual Hellfire Club. That's true. Hellfire Club's based on a, on a real deal. Yeah. And, I, and we're not going to get into that. No. That's a, that's a whole lawsuit <laughs> waiting to happen. Yeah. For a guy with only optic blasts of power, Scott has always had a way of bossing his psychic girlfriends around. A panel of him telling Gene what to do while well, he was also the leader of the team. It wasn't just him and his girlfriend around. Yeah. Um, seeing Jean psychically work over Kitty's parents' mind reminded me of her behavior with Angel in the recent all-new X-Men. Good point. It's great to see Brian Bendis keeping true to the established personalities and behaviors of these classic X-Men. Tomo is showing me how amazing future Jean Grey versus Emma Frost in his Battle of the Atom. Here we are reading their first encounters. Yeah. Like I said, that's there you go. In polite circles, friends usually just say, long time no see. When did Gene and Warren get that close? Yeah, I, I had that same reaction. I was like, whoa, what yeah. are you doing, bro? I, think, I feel like in comics, especially in the 80s, they did that a lot. Maybe it's just like before we were born, that's how people greeted each other. Or maybe they were just friskier with each yeah. other. I mean, whatever. I mean, they almost they almost dated. <laughs> like, that was always the big thing in early X-Men issues, was it was like kind of a triangle between Gene, Angel, and Scott. So if I saw this and I was psycho, I was, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, man? Also, Angel's girlfriend is right there. Yeah, Candy, whatever, Southern or something. Look, it's Candy Southern. Uh, look at Angel's outfit here. It's so glorious. Oh, yeah. Headband, that horizontally striped tank top. Chest hair just thrusting Chest out. Chest hair, glorious. His blonde hair just blowing in the mm. wind. Fantastic. My hearing is almost as sharp as Wolverine's. Is this a power for Storm or just something of a refined skill? It's a refined skill. She was a thief. Yeah, she was a thief. A thief. Often we get the Hellfire Club aren't always mutants and aren't always anti-mutant. They're just power obsessed. Yeah, that was their whole deal. Exactly. They would, they would side with whoever was going to, you know, give them the most money and power. It's a strong sense of family within Uncanny X-Men from Scott and Xavier's thought speech to Aurora's little brother, Peter. Yeah, she always called Colossus little Very brother. Very cute. They had a cool relationship. Um, perhaps the Hellfire Club should set its heights higher. Today the X-Men, tomorrow the Avengers. Yeah, bring it, Shaw. I, I, I don't think there's ever been like a full scale Avengers versus Hellfire Club story. It would have been great to see back in the day. Yeah, totally. Original Hellfire Club versus perennial Avengers. Mm. Hellfire Club really weren't as well prepared to handle the X Men as they thought if they had thought Wolverine had perished. That's their, mm-hmm. their one big mistake, is they thought Wolverine was dead. Fools. Uh, <laughs> Much as I love Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, whenever I read Logan in comics, he defaults to the voice he's in the 90s cartoon. I can't help it either. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the voice I hear. But then Kyle Charles says that Steve Bloom has been the voice in his head since right. the mid-2000s because of X-Men Legends. It's kind of a mix for me of yeah. Steve, Bloom, Steve Bloom and the classic 90s. Because yeah. um, Steve Bloom actually has done a very good job. It's of, great. He does. He's his cousin of that timeless voice. I, can't really, I don't really distinguish between the two anymore. It's just Wolverine. I, I buy that. The X-Men powers are inhibited by the manacles, and yet Cyclops still gets put in a metallic gimp mask at Kinky Hellfire Club. You knew they just had that line around. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's put this on. It looks hot. Aurora is beauty in English. Well, I never. You learn something every day. Uh, Apparently, because I looked this up, Aurora in Swahili translates Mm -hmm. to soft or delicate in English. Not necessarily beauty, but maybe that's a different translation that can be accurate somewhere. And where's she? She's from Cairo. 
Oh, so she may have to look up the. Oh, Egyptian. I wasn't looking Egyptian because yeah. it was all coming up. I didn't know what the basis for that word was. Uh, I'm not sure. That, that, that sounds true. As any, but yeah, I, I mean, know she's not Egyptian, but she's. From, I don't know. She grew up on the streets of Cairo as a thief, as a pickpocket. Yeah. I don't know, but I think she's actually she was born in New York. Right. That's a whole. Thing. There's a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway. How is elemental a personality trait? I get that Moira might be remote, beautiful, and unyielding. Yeah, Moira Taggart's in this story for a couple of pages. Jeez, yeah. Nightcrawler really is the melodramatic one on the team. He's not breathing. Cyclops is dead. Look, Cyclops is alive. That's even better that he's the one to put yeah. out back to back. Um, great to see Beast in his role as an Avenger in Uncanny X-Men number 134. Isn't Wonder Man around at this point? Is Hank that friendless? I think this may have been pre- Wonder Man coming back from the dead. Because hmm. um, when Beast first joined the Avengers, it was kind of a fish-out-of-water type situation. But right. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what it pinned down. It's been an Avenger for a while at this point. Yeah. New word learned. Supernal, celestial, heavenly, of, coming from, or being in the sky, or high above. Comics can teach. Hashtag. The way Claremont and Byrne describe Jean's awareness of her own gradual corruption in Uncanny 134 is powerful stuff. Claremont writes Phoenix in a way I've never read before. She reels under the impact of more sensations that she has names for. Yeah, Claremont was really the quintessential Phoenix writer. Yeah. So Scott loses the love of his life to a cosmic entity bent on destruction, yet clearly learns nothing from the experience as years later his actions lead to this and it's a panel from AVX of him becoming the Phoenix. And it's the exact panel of when she became the Phoenix. Yeah, it's so similar. Same dialogue, same everything. Alright, more from Robert. Just marathoning through here. By 1980, are we aware aware Nightcrawler's father is a demon, or is his sulfur teleport smell just associated with Banffy? We didn't know his father was a demon until... For another 20-odd years. Yeah, so it was just a thing. I can't quite remember if Beast's actions to lie about the X-Men emergency from Avengers is noted in the other title. I don't think it was. I don't think it was ever referred to. No one should have to see what's inside their parents' minds. Ew, just ew. No wonder Gene went crazy. (laughs) I love that. Charles doesn't have much luck during final showdowns with Phoenix-possessed people. He seriously learned nothing from this. He tried. He tried. Maybe I'm cosmically biased, but I was rooting for Gladiator during his scrap with Colossus. I, I do like Claremont's cheekiness here. He says, it's two men of steel. And yep. it's one guy made of steel and one guy who is a quote-unquote man of steel. Mm-hmm. Ew, what a read. Uncanny X-Men's classic Dark Phoenix saga read as part of Twin URC and another historical event ticked off my list. Fab. Squirrel Boy says, Wow, Gene just blew up a sun and destroyed a planet. The description of what happened to those guys is dark. Yeah, they're so... Burn did a great job just designing the most unthreatening, like, poor, peaceful-looking yeah, people Yeah, they, they're well. like, they loved peace. These people just loved peace. Yeah. And boom, dead. Yeah. Stephen Barr says, Great sad ending to X-Men 137. You could not become Dark Phoenix and remain true to yourself. Great end to 137. This is what makes humanity virtually unique in the cosmos. The extraordinary capacity for self-sacrifice. And great sad ending to 137. (laughs) Jean Grey could have lived to become a god, but it was more important to her that she die a human. Yeah. Too true. Yeah. Susan Cotton, who I don't believe I've ever noticed on our podcast before, unless uh, she has a new Twitter name, but uh, welcome. And she says, I never thought I'd like Cyclops, but I, too, was unnerved by the power of Jean Grey. Could she have caused an M day? She totally could have. She, I mean, she could. She could have done problem. anything. Yeah. yeah. And Susan says, "I never knew that Wolverine was that hairy. It's kind of a turnoff. Uh, I don't know. Getting yeah. out of that shower, that's kind of like a total like boom, boom, boom shot of him. Man. It was the '80s. Tom Selleck was like the sex symbol. Yeah. Him and Gutenberg. <laughs> Goot. 
Anyway, the tech lord says, topless girls with pierced nipples and dark phoenix? That comic code wasn't too scary, huh? Uh, I don't know that... I mean, it's a very small little shot of from the Hellfire Club. That could have been just a, a weird outfit. Yeah, it was the Hellfire Club, man. All sorts of weird stuff yes. is going on there. Stuff is happening. Uh, Professor X just hangs back to observe... Sneaks out of, on his own. It reads like Patrick Stewart wasn't available for filming this issue. Uh, yeah, he just, you know, he's here and there. But yeah. he wasn't that crucial part of the team at this moment. No, I mean, that was part of the conflict was Professor X uh, was getting used to this dynamic. Because when they were the original X-Men, he could just kind of boss them around and they do whatever he said because he was their teacher. And now he's dealing with, a, as they touch on here, a team of adults yeah. who don't really need him around as much. So he has to find his place. Thomas Ballard, I'm so excited the Reading Club Choice is the Dark Phoenix Saga. X-Men are the best. Happy 50th anniversary. Marvel, please bring back 70s sideburns. Love me some X-Men sideburns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that should be <laughs> top ten list or something. Feels like I am breaking into the middle of a soap opera, not a self-contained story. Claremont's X-Men run deep. Yeah, there's always stuff going on. That's a great thing about Claremont's X-Men. I think he does do a good job of prepping you to what's going on, but really... Claremont started in the 70s, didn't finish till the 90s, and you could read that whole thing as one super story. Yeah. He, he, it just go, it yeah. flows one to the other. Exactly. The DPS, Dark Phoenix Saga, deserves its place as a classic story. So many defining moments that still affect the X-Men over 30 years later. Claremont is a legend. The X-Men are the best. And I am in comics heaven. Dark Phoenix was rad. Long live Marvel. Well said. Tomo says, I just finished the Dark Phoenix Saga, and I can't remember the last time I cried so much with a comic book in hand. Aww. Trey says, didn't know Jean had a sister. Where'd she go? We addressed that earlier. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that see yeah. exactly what happened to her. I want to find out what, uh, yeah. what happened to her. Oh, uh, shoot, I do remember what happened uh, to her. It wasn't revealed until years. Like, it wasn't revealed until the 90s. She was missing for years, and you find out, you're going to love this. Uh, it was during the Phalanx Covenant. You found out that the Phalanx kidnapped her years ago. I think it was just like one of those things that like Claremont just set up and left dangling because he used to do that. He would leave plot threads dangling for like five or ten years and he forgot about it. And Lobdell or whoever picked up on it and said like, this is where the fans got a lot of their intel is they kidnapped Jean Grey's sister and like absorbed her into their their little consciousness or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. And she had two kids too, right? Yeah, and they just got orphaned. Oh. They went and stayed with her grandparents, I think. But yeah, it was like Jean Grey's sister was missing for years. And then, of all places, the Phalanx Covenant was wow. where they uh, made that reveal. So nice. that's where she was. Yeah. The Phalanx had her back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, Trey says, I am not ashamed to admit I cried like a little girl to this. Such tender and yet mesmerizing love. And it's the shot right after they. Um, Lock down the yep. Phoenix Power in Central Park. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a proposal. I mean, basically, yeah, it's kind yeah. of a proposal here. Totally great. And then, uh oh, uh, let's see. Trey says, "I love Lelandra's eloquence. Such well-written character. Yep. Yeah, uh, brilliant chemistry behind this." Then he goes into some chemistry stuff. Some yeah, I I don't know what the gold with MR one nine six point nine six six. G slash uh, MOL. The, the long and short of it is that Jean Grey, and I was weirded out by this, she turns a tree into gold yep. and drops it on Wolverine and Colossus. First, first Colossus picks up a tree to throw yep. at her. She turns off his steel yeah. power, and then he's like, oh, this is too heavy. Then Wolverine gets involved, and then she turns yeah. a tree into gold and is too heavy for the both of them. Yeah. And she, anything she wants to do, she could do. She it. can do it. It's nuts. And that's that. That is, that is the Dark, Dark Phoenix, Phoenix Saga. We didn't pick a second book to do, did we? What do you mean? 
Do we have a, a the I, next? I, I pick it now. Then pick it. That's what I'm doing. What do you got? All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump ahead 20 years to Claremont's last story on the X-Men of his original run, Mutant Genesis. Nice. Checked it out this morning. It's on the app. It is the first three issues of X-Men from 1991. They had a second book. Uh, I thought we'd go into this because this is kind of more when you and I were really getting hardcore into it. Uh, Jim Lee does the art. It's incredible. It's three issues of the X-Men versus Magneto. Uh, we'll talk a lot about it next time, but I think you guys will really dig it. It's another one of those stories that really holds up. And I thought it was a nice bookend because this is kind of Claremont's first huge story, and then this is the story in 1991 where he leaves the X-Men for a bit. Nice. So I will throw that up on the uh, Marvel Unlimited ASAP. Good choice. All right, thank you guys. Thanks to Ben Stromy, everybody else who helped, and thanks for tweeting and listening. And remember, send in your regular This Week in Marvel questions using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. We'll get to them next week for episode 102 live from New York Comic Con. Oh, man. This is Marvel, your universe. See ya.